Esther chapter 4. Here as we find ourselves in Esther chapter 4, the year was about 479 B.C. And the place was in Persia. Esther, the beautiful young Jewess, was now the queen of the land. And she'd been queen for about four years. We know that by comparing some of the dates that we find in the text. And in the previous chapter, we learned that Haman, a powerful, arrogant prince, had been elevated to a position of number two in the kingdom. And he was very haughty about that. And he expected everyone to bow down and give him reverence when he walked past them. And any time he would walk through the city gates, everybody would bow down and worship toward him, except one man, Mordecai. And Mordecai said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a Jew, and I don't believe that's right. I'm not going to worship him. I'm not going to bow down to him. Besides, we saw last week of how uh, Haman was an Agagite, which, as far as we can tell, was an uh, a Malachite was an enemy of the Jews, and Haman and Mordecai said, "I'm not going to bow down to him. No way." And he stood his ground, and this infuriated Haman. And Haman was determined he was going to get rid of the Jews once and for all. The Jews, not just Mordecai. I don't want to get rid of just him. I want all of his relatives, every one of them, I want dead. Now remember the the land that they. Uh, ruled at that time, covered everything from India all the way to Greece and down south to, um, to Ethiopia. So all of Egypt, all of Israel, all of um, Turkey in our modern terms, and Iran and Iraq and Pakistan and, and Afghanistan, all of that was included in the, the area that they ruled. And so now... Haman's determined that all the Jews in that land, so all the land of Israel and all the other Jewish people in all these places were going to be wiped out, and they had a perfect plot to do this. Had it set up so that by law, anybody that knew a Jew could kill them on the 13th day of the last month and take all their possessions as their spoil. And that was perfectly legal. So you could, if you knew a Jew, you could kill him, and everything he's got was yours. And so this was a plot that went out through the whole land. And Mordecai, as we start out this chapter here, starts out in verse number 1. It says, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. So Mordecai, this great man who was in a position of somewhat leadership as far as we can tell in the land of Persia. He was sitting in the king's gate, very likely involved in some of the judicial actions of the city because of his place of position there. And he has now seen that this is not just against him, but all of his people are condemned to death. And he tears his clothes as a sign of mourning, puts on sackcloth, which was an uh, a very rough, coarse garment made from uh, uh, goat skin or goat's hair that was very itchy and picky and uncomfortable and unbecoming. And he put that on as a sign of mourning. And he went to the city mourning and crying and in bitter soul. 
And so, as we see this, this is where we start out this chapter. And this was a time of great trouble for the nation. You know, you just imagine. Put it in your mind. You know, sometimes we see these things long ago, far away, and it doesn't really come home to us. What if it was us? What if it was your family, your heritage, that someone passed a law? Let's just put it into typical places here. The Australian government passed the law that everybody related to you in far distant lands, everywhere in all of the country and all over the world, was going to be executed on the, la- the 13th day of the last month. How would you feel? I mean, just like Mordecai, that was devastating. It was dev- not, only, not only to lose your own life, but know that all of your relatives, all those related to me, are going to be wiped out on that day. It was a hard day. It was a difficult time. And here Mordecai is weeping and mourning. And as he's weeping and mourning, there in the court, or outside of the, uh, the city gates, we see here in verse number 2, and, it came, he, and he came even to the, before the king's gate, for none could enter into the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. So he couldn't even do his job. He was supposed to be in the king's gate doing his work, whatever it was that he was doing, but he couldn't even go into the king's gate because he had sackcloth on and nobody with sackcloth could go into there because this is the king's gate and you can't come in here dressing like that. That's pathetic. And so he's outside, he's mourning, he's weeping, he's he's, uh, walking through the city and it's a difficult, sad time. In verse number three, in every province, whether the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and laying in sackcloth and ashes. It was a time of great mourning over the whole 127 provinces of all these people. Everywhere there was Jews, the Jews were mourning and weeping and fasting at this time. Now, Queen Esther, because of her position now, she was kind of isolated from the real world. She's inside the king's palace. Sounds like she wasn't even allowed to really kind of go out and about and do what she wants to do anymore. She's trapped in there. This is she, you know, in the king's court and his king's grounds, and that was her area. And you can't go outside of that because she's royalty, and you know somebody might assassinate the royalty, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So she's got all these restrictions on her. So she didn't know anything about this law that came about. And then some of her maidens and, and cha- uh, chamberlains. Now, a chamberlain was a, a male eunuch that was uh, a servant of the palace people, the palace guard type of thing. They made him eunuchs, so there wasn't any chance of them being immoral and, and uh, raping any of the king's family or any of that kind of stuff. So here, they're all eunuchs. And so her, her eunuchs and her, uh, her maidens came to her and said, Esther, you know that guy Mordecai that's a friend of yours? He's out mourning and weeping. He looks pathetic. And there's a lot of people out there mourning and weeping. So she sent him garments. She says, oh, here's some new clothes. Take these to Mordecai. Have him put these on and stop his mourning and crying. And so they bring it out to Mordecai. And Mordecai says, I can't do that. I can't put on this, take off my sackcloth and stop mourning. This is a time of disaster. My people are going to die. And it's time for weeping and mourning. And I cannot dress up nice and forget the mourning. 
And he says, go tell Esther what's taking place. And he says, besides that, you tell Esther she's got to do something to help us. So they went back in and told Esther what was taking place. And, and, and so he came and, they, and, and Esther heard the words that he said. He said, you need to go in and speak with the king and ask the king to do something to stop this problem. And Esther's response was classic. She said, you need to go tell Mordecai. I, I, I can't do that. That's illegal. Nobody goes into the king's court without being invited. It's a national law. You enter the king's court without being invited, the one thing that will happen to you is execution immediately. Nobody goes in there without inv- invitation, except if the king holds out his golden scepter, his walking stick-like. And if he holds out his golden scepter, that's your only hope of being kept from execution. And she says, besides, for 30 days now, the king hasn't called for me. What a marriage, you know. (laughs) Real sweet union there. But for 30 days, she hadn't seen the king. She hadn't been invited in to see the king at all for 30 days. And so she says, I don't know, maybe he's upset with me. I don't know, but but, I mean, this makes it hard. How can I just go present myself to him after 30 days? She says, I'll be executed. And Mordecai hears that and he writes back and he says, Esther, whether you're executed or not, you're going to die if you don't do something because you're one of us. And you need to do something. And he says, who knows? Perhaps God, we didn't use the word God, perhaps you are brought into the place of queen for this very thing. Esther hears that, and she wrote back her answer at the end of the chapter. And Esther wrote, she says, I'll tell you what. All right, Mordecai, you do this. I want you to fast and, and, and uh, have all of your servants fast. And I will fast, and all of my maidens will fast for three days and three nights. And then I will go in to see the king, even though it's illegal. And if I perish, I perish. Now that's the chapter before us this morning. And as we look at that, we ask ourselves a very important question. What is, in there, what is there in this that we need to learn? I think there's a lot of things we need to learn here. We see that each of these people, there's three groups we're going to be looking at this morning. The Jews as a whole... Mordecai, and then Esther. And each one of them did what they could when trouble came. Each of them acted biblically when trouble came. You know, folks, we cannot always avoid trouble. Trouble comes in all kinds of shapes and forms, and we all are faced with it. You may be threatened with a disease. It may be a sickness that hinders your abilities. Your marriage may be struggling. Your job may be unstable. Your children may be wayward. Finances may be tight. Your life may be full of stress. Some of these things we just can't avoid. It's part of life. But when that happens, how are we going to respond? 
What are we supposed to do? God wants to show us here in this chapter, through the example of these three groups, how to respond biblically to our troubles. We see, first of all, that the Jews all over the land fasted. And I believe they prayed as well. They mourned and fasted and wept and wailed and lay in sackcloth and ashes. You know, the Bible contains multitudes of examples of people doing these things when they were seeking God's help. And, you know, we ask ourselves an important question. As I pondered over this, why did God not allow the book of Esther to contain any mention of God or prayer or scriptures, or the law, or any of that stuff. The book of Esther says nothing about that. Well, here's my theory. It's only a theory. But I suspect that it could have been very likely because if the book was written by Mordecai, which many think it was, and they lived in, in Persia, it may have endangered the Jewish people to have a document that contained information in it about their God and about their worship system and about worshiping God and all of these things, it may have endangered some of them. So maybe that's why God didn't have those things included in there. But because when we read about fasting and uh, throughout the rest of the Bible, multitudes of times, it talks fasting is linked with prayer. Fasting is also linked with getting right with God, drawing near to God, seeking God's help. And so, I believe we can justly assume that that's exactly what Mordecai and the other Jews were doing. That when they were fasting, they were praying, they were mourning, they were weeping, they were begging God for help. And that's the biblical response when trouble comes. The first thing God wants from us is to say, God, I need help. I'm depending on you, God. And it ought to be a time of examining our hearts. When trouble comes, it may not be because we've done anything wrong, but it is something that we ought to examine our hearts and say, is there something between me and God that he's trying to show me? Is God trying to get my attention? If I've done something I shouldn't do. And we examine our hearts, we get right with God, and have a time of revival in our hearts. You know, just this morning I was reading in Psalm 111, in verse number 10, it says a phrase that is repeated several times throughout the scripture, and that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to have a, it's not just a terror of God. You think of God and you start shaking like, God's going to get me. No, it's not that. The fear of God is having such a respect for God that we wouldn't dream of disobeying him or doubting him. When troubles come, why do we panic? Why do we fear? Why do we worry? It's because we don't really trust God. We don't fear God. And I say we, I'm in there too. I am guilty many times. Troubles come and we go, oh no, what am I going to do? I got all these, oh, it's going to, 
and we start fretting and worrying. What we really need to do is say, God, you've allowed this. I don't know why, but I need you. I need your help. And I believe you are able to help me. I believe you're able to meet my needs. And God, I need your help right now desperately. We need to turn to God. That's the biblical way to respond. In John chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were the highest ranking religious people in the Jewish land. They were, well, I say highest, maybe the priest, the high priest might, was probably a little higher, but they were way up at the top. All right? So these Pharisees were the very religious people. They were the real strict sect that was just followed everything but by exactly. And Nicodemus came to Jesus. And the reason Nicodemus came to Jesus is because he knew down in his heart he had a problem. Even though Nicodemus was extremely religious, Nicodemus knew he had a sin problem. And you know, that is an important thing for all of us to recognize. The first thing we need to do is we need to recognize before God, I am a sinner. That's the bottom line. I am a sinner. And because I'm a sinner and God is holy, I'm in trouble. And Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he starts kind of hinting around what he was after. And Jesus knew why he was there. And so Jesus talks right out to him and says, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was wanting to know, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? How can I be sure my sins are forgiven? How can I be sure that I'm okay with God? He says, Nicodemus... Except a man's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, I'm an old man. How can I be born again? I can't enter into my mother's womb again and be born? And Jesus goes on to explain to him. He says, Nicodemus, I'm not talking about getting back inside of mama again. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You've had your water birth, your fleshly birth. But I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth is something that you need in order to come to Relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to be born into God's family. You know, this morning, you need to ask yourself, have I been born into God's family? Has God washed me clean? Has God given me eternal life? When we face troubles in life, the first thing we need, we need a Savior. And if you don't even know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you have nowhere to turn. You can try talking to God. Unbelievers out there in churches today are, are trying to talk to God. But God says in, in uh, Psalm 66, 18, if, you, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there's sin in their heart, if they're not right with God, if they don't know Jesus as their Savior, God's got no obligation to listen to them at all. That's not that God's deaf, but God just says, they're not my child, I'm not listening But once we know Jesus Christ, our Savior, then we can come to God and say, God, I need your help. That's where it all starts. So if you're here today and have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior to forgive you and wash you clean, that's what you need. That's where it starts. But then once we've done that, we need to draw an eye to God. You know, when troubles come to us, James tells us there in James 4.8, he says, draw an eye to God and God will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What is he saying? He says we need to get close to God. 
That's what this mourning and weeping and, and fasting was all about. We've got to get right with God. Judgment's coming. Maybe God will have mercy on us. We need God's power. We need to be right with God. And folks, that is true with all of us all the time. We all need to be right with God every day. But sadly, we're not always that way. And we need to make sure that our heart is right with God. And so when, when troubles come, even when troubles don't come, we need to be right with God. But especially when troubles come, the first thing we need to do is get on our knees and say, God, help me. Is there something in my heart that's not right? Am I right with you? Help me to draw near you. I want to be pleasing and clean in my heart. I want you to be close to me because I need you at this time more than ever before. I need you. We need to draw near to God. When troubles come, we must not worry. That's not what God wants. That's our typical thing to do. We start worrying, and what if this happens, and what if that happens, and oh no, I don't know how I'm going to solve my problems. And we don't sleep at night, we can't eat, and we get skinny, and we just, oh, what am I going to happen? I don't know. We're worried. Up. God says, don't do that. That doesn't help any. Worry doesn't help a thing. But drawing near to God and pouring it out to God, he says, cast your burden on the Lord. He shall take care of it. We need to give our burdens to him. And that's what God wants us to do. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, be careful for nothing or be care filled for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, if you give your troubles to God, God will give you peace. And that's what we need to do. That's the biblical way of dealing with problems. It's easy to worry. But it takes discipline and commitment to draw near to God. But that's what we need. But Mordecai then... We find not only did the Jews pray and fast, but Mordecai was fasting and praying, but Mordecai did something else. He petitioned help. He took another step that was a biblical thing to do. He said, you know, we can pray and fast, but God wants us to do what we can. And one of the things we can do is I'm going to ask Esther for help. And he knew Esther's now the, got more power than anybody else that he knew other than the king. She was the queen. And so he says, Esther, please, you've got to help us. You've got to do something. And yet she was scared. He petitions her in verse number 8. He says, uh, make supplication unto the king and request before him for, for, for your, you and your people. And Esther responds and, and says, you know, she sends her servant Hatak back to him and it says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know, verse 11 here, uh, that whosoever man or woman shall come in under the king, unto the inner court, who is not called, uh, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such as to whom the king shall hold out his golden scepter. So Esther pours out her problem to Mordecai. But Mordecai assures her, You've got to do something. You can't just ignore this. You can't just pretend it's not going to happen. He says in verse number 14, he says, And if, uh, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there 
enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He says, Esther, this could be the reason why God allowed you to become the queen. And you know, now that we can look back on the book, we can say, absolutely, that's exactly why. God allowed her to become queen to save the nation. That's why God did it. And and Mordecai could foresee this, but we look back at it and we can see that exactly. And you know, there are things that, that we can do. God says, I want you to do what you can. One of the things that is important for us is to humble ourselves and seek help. When trouble comes, humble ourselves and seek help. So many times our pride keeps us from seeking help. And it's tragic. You know, seeking a biblical counselor for help is not a weakness or a shame. That's the smart thing to do. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, he says, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. He says, it's wise to get counsel. And you know that is so true. There's times when we may have troubles, we need help. We can't fix it all ourselves. Just getting on our knees and praying is good. That's important. That's the right thing to do. But God says, do what you can. One of the things we can do is seek help. You know, if your marriage is troubled, don't you wait until you're, you're both ready to file for divorce before you go looking for help. Seek help. That's the right thing to do. When, when you're having troubles in other areas, seek help. Look for help. And Mordecai here gave us a good example. He went and he spoke with, with Esther and he says, Esther, we need your help. We need your help, Esther. Do what you can, Esther, for us. So Mordecai responded biblically. He did a wise thing. He sought help from Esther. But then that brings us to the third. What, what about Esther herself? Esther took steps to resolve the problem. She both sought help and surrendered. Verse number 15. And Esther bade them turn, uh, return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And I believe it was including prayer. Neither eat nor drink three days and, and nights, uh, or uh, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther did what she could. She said, "I will do what you've asked me to do, and I will do what I believe is right." But we need to first of all fast and pray. We need to make sure that God's in this. And you know, folks, that is the key. You know, as we pray for our missionaries this week, as you pray for Benjamin and Lauren and their ministry up in Papua New Guinea and the revival meetings they're having, that's the key. We need God's power. Benjamin can preach eloquent messages, but if God doesn't give him his power, it's going to fall on deaf ears. But you can have a part in that. You can pray, God, would you please help them to be right with you. Help Benjamin to be right with you and able to preach with your power and work in the hearts of the people that are coming in from these other villages that they would be ready and prepared and their hearts would be right with God so that God could work in their hearts and there could be a great revival. There can be people saved. There can be Christians strengthened. And you can have a part in that. Every one of you can. Esther did what she could. 
She said, I will do it. You pray for me. You fast for me. I'll fast and pray for three days. And at the end of the three days, I will go in and see the king. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Now that took character. That took courage. You stop and think about that. What if it was you? What if it was you that had to go in and see the king and you knew that if the king didn't hold out his golden scepter to you, you would be executed. No questions about it. You would be executed. That would take courage. You would have to know God's in this. God wants me to go. God will take care of it. If God lets me die, he'll let me die. But if he protects me, he alone can do it. God's got to be in control. So Esther was burdened that they pray and fast and that she would pray and fast. And then she said, I will do what I can. I will do what I can. You know, we must take action to resolve troubles ourselves as well. You know, many times... We need to deal with things. One of the things is to repent. You know, when we, we have troubles, if it is God working in your heart, maybe there's something issue that God's trying to get you to do. God says, repent. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not to blame. It was their fault. It wasn't my fault. And we're stubborn and we rebel and we don't want to get right with God. But God says, as soon as you repent, then I can work in your heart. We need to make sure we do what we can. We need to choose, maybe, maybe choosing a treatment. You know, you're sick. You've got to choose, what am I going to do? And you pray and fast and say, God, show me the right thing to do. Help me to make the right choice. Maybe it's a, a situation where we're, uh, we need to change our attitude. We've got a rotten attitude. And a lot of times that happens. We've got a bad attitude about something. We've just got to change. God said, you do your part, then I'll be able to do my part. Maybe it's something we need to obey. You know, uh, some scripture you know God wants you to do, but you're not doing it. Something you need to change in your life, and you're just not willing to do it. God says, you do your part, I'll do mine. But God's not going to zap us and just change us automatically. He says, I'll give you the strength, I'll give you the power, I'll give you the grace, but you've got to get with it and do it. Now, and, and it's important, we've got to do that. It may be seeking for help. It may be asking for forgiveness. You may be here today and you know there's somebody that you need to ask forgiveness for. But you stubbornly say, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness until they change their way. That's not what God said. God said, you take the first step. You get out there and do what you know you need to do. Go tell them, humble yourself and say, I am sorry, would you please forgive me? And don't you dare point a finger to you. I'm not just yelling at you, all right? Don't me dare either. Say, I, I want you to forgive me, but if you wouldn't... No, no, don't say but. But's not part of the forgiveness phrase, okay? If you ask for forgiveness, but can't have anything to do with it because then we're saying, I'm not really guilty. I'm not really wanting forgiveness. I just want you to make me feel better. No, leave the but out of it. Just say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Even if they were partly wrong, even if they were mostly wrong, you got to take care of yourself. You can't take care of them. God wants you to take the step in the right direction. Maybe it's searching the scriptures for answers. You need to just spend more time in the Bible. If you don't spend time in the Bible every day, you need to. You need to. 
You cannot expect God's guidance and power and direction if you don't spend time in the book. Got to. Maybe trusting God for victory over some sinful habit. And maybe just patiently waiting on the Lord instead of worrying. There's so many things. God said, you do your part, I'll do my part. But God's not going to sit back and just zap us suddenly and it's all going to be better. He says, you've got some responsibilities and I've got some responsibilities and we need to do them. We expect God to do his part. So you think in your own heart, what is it? The troubles come. The problems are on you. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? What are we supposed to do to resolve it? One, we get right with God. We spend time in prayer with God. We draw close to God. We make sure there's nothing between us and our Savior. And then God says, do your part now. Here's some things you need to take care of. Here's some things you need to change. Here's some things you need to get rid of. Here's some people you need to talk to. You need to go get some counsel. You need to get some help. Whatever it is, do your part. God wants us to do what we can. That's the biblical thing to do. So if we look at this chapter, the Jews... They heard they were going to die. What do they do? They fall on their knees. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they weep and they pray and they beg to God for help. What did Mordecai do? He did the same as among them, but he also took it a step further and says, I know somebody that can help us. I'm going to petition Esther. And he sought counsel and he sought help from Esther. And then Esther said, well, what can I do? He says, go see the king. Oh, I can't do that. That's dangerous. And she says, okay, I'll do what I can. Even if it costs me my life, I'll do what I can. And folks, God wants to give you a revival in your heart. But you've got to do what he asks you to do. We can pray. We can beg God. We can weep. But we've got to get right with God. And we've got to draw near to God. And we need to obey God before God can help us. So let's ask God today, what is it that we can learn from this chapter that can help us and to be what God wants us to be? If you're here today and have not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's where it's got to begin. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you've never prayed and said, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm a wretched sinner. I need Jesus Christ to wash me clean and make me his child. If you've never done that, you're still lost. That's where it's got to begin. I encourage you to do it today. Come see me. I'd be happy to talk with you to show you how to settle that issue with God. But once you know Christ your Savior, then folks, we've got work to do. We need to draw near to God. We're all going to face troubles. That's part of life. You're not going to get around that. So when the troubles come, we need to respond biblically.